distribute Bibles. So that's the shameless promotional plug, and I'll stop at that uh, and just get on with the, the lesson. Have you ever wanted to be a hero? I mean, think about it. You know, Heroes Reborn is out, right? Yeah, so uh, the, my daughters loved Heroes, and I've actually started watching Heroes Reborn. Uh, but uh, have you ever really wanted to be a hero? I don't mean running around in tights. Frankly, some of you would not look good in tights uh, or masks. Well, some of us who would wear tights would need to wear masks so no one would know us who we are. Okay, okay, okay. I wouldn't look good in tights. All right, I know. And I, now I've just given you an image that you're not going to be able to sleep tonight. Uh, sorry about that nightmare. Um, but no, seriously, wait. Have you ever wanted to be able to affect change in people's lives? Again, not, no superpowers, not leaping over a building in a single bound, although I've had secretaries who could freeze water at a single glance. Um, no, I'm talking about being able to be involved in the life of someone. And make a significant difference. Something that could possibly change the world. Again, you know, my experience has been, the last few years has been working with folks in in Ukraine. And recently, well, in 2014, and then again this year, the director of the association told all of our team members as he would meet with them and, and together we'd go and meet with the different teams he would say, you guys are heroes. He never said that before 2014. Uh, But he said, no, you guys are heroes. What you are doing is heroic, a heroic effort. When everybody else is running away and leaving Ukraine, you guys come in and you love on kids. You partner with us to change people's lives. And I started thinking about that. Well, what is it about that that makes someone a hero? What is it that makes you a hero? A year ago, or over a year ago, I wrote a curriculum for the camps called Real Heroes, where we looked at the character traits of Jesus as sort of a prototype of of what it means to be heroic. And honestly, I think I could have summed it up instead of, you know, eight character traits that you see in the life of Jesus, I could have summed it up in one character trait. And that would have done it. Are you ready for it? Kenosis. Kenosis. Okay, Daryl, what's that mean? All right. Kenosis, it's, it's a, a self-emptying presence in the lives of those with whom we come in contact. It's being God's presence in other people's lives in a way that empties oneself. And that's the word that's used in our passage for today. In Philippians chapter 2 and in chapter 3, Paul fleshes out what that is. He doesn't use the term hero, but I think this is it. Let's look at a familiar passage, and I did not look the page number up in the Bible, I apologize, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Those of y'all who are turning to that, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And he says, Paul is writing, and this is considered a Christ hymn. It's, it's, it's written in a poetic form that seems to indicate that this might have been something they chanted or sang. He says, your attitude or your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or held onto with an eager grasp. But he made himself nothing. There's that word kenosis. He emptied himself. 
taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess, and this is the name that's above every name, by the way, it's not Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name. To the glory of the Father. It's a euphemism that usually refers to God. All right? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Father. See, Paul's challenge to all Christians is to have this mindset, this attitude of Jesus. In the pres- it's, it's a self-emptying presence in the lives of others around us. We are called to be dominated by this character and this mindset. Kenosis. It goes something like this. We are all filled up with our own issues, our own desires, our own rights, our expectations and demands. We all have them. Every one of us do. And these things are, are supposed to be a certain way. I mean, we look at the world and the world is supposed to be this way. You know, my daughters have a wonderful phrase. That's just not fair. Right? You've heard that. If you've raised kids, you know this. That's not fair. And then what's the typical response? Life isn't fair. You know, right? But it's not, right? But that's the way we view things. We view things that life is supposed to be a certain way. This We fill ourselves up with this idea that my expectations should be met. I should be treated fairly. I'm supposed to have my basic needs and wants filled. Others should be considerate of what I want. And every one of us, including me, has that in us. Every one of us have those expectations. Well, did you ever think that Jesus had those rights too? He had the rights. He, if anyone, deserved to be treated fairly. He deserved justice. He deserved deference, honor, glory, and praise. He deserved everything to go his way. If anyone deserved it, he did. And yet. And yet. He gives it all up. He gives it up. He pours out all of those rights, all of those needs, all of those wants onto the garbage heap. And says, I will become nothing in order to serve those who have nothing. I will become nothing in order to serve those who have no hope, no help, no meaning in their lives. That's why I've come. So how does that play out each day? How does that play out day to day in our lives? Well, Paul explains that kind of behavior is consistent with this mind of Christ. Yeah, it's kind of hard. I don't know if you have the mind of Christ. There's no way I can know if you have the mind of Christ. The only way that I can even gauge something like that is by looking at behavior, right? That's how you know, or that's how you get an idea if someone has a certain mindset or a certain idea. So Paul tells us what kind of behavior is consistent with that thought process. Now, you've got to note something here too. Paul is writing to a church in Philippi that is undergoing particular problems. Sometimes we approach the Bible, we get this idea that this Bible is giving us these 
big, broad, general truths and, and that we just look at these big, broad, general truths and, and it doesn't occur to us that when Paul writes a letter, he's addressing a very specific problem that that group of people is experiencing. Right? And it's something and they understand in their context. They know what he's talking about. For us, it's like listening to a telephone conversation on one side. We only hear one part of the conversation. So that's what we're getting here is one side of the conversation. But there's something going on in Philippi that's making Paul write about having this mind of Christ. There's something happening there. And I'd like to submit to you what's happening there is a division. There's a division going on there. Now, we don't think of that. Most people you ever heard anyone teach about Philippians are going to be talking about this idea that it's an epistle of joy because joy and its cognates are covering the book. Paul is always talking about, you know, having this joy, make my joy complete, joy, joy, rejoice in the Lord always. So you see joy, but it's really not a letter about joy. It's a letter about division. And there's a neat little um, phrase that those who are scholars in the field tell me. I do not claim scholarship. But those who are scholar in the field say that in first century letters, when you received the letter in the first, it followed a particular form. And there are like four different types of letters. The most informal type, which is what we see in the New Testament, there was a particular word that always set off what the main point of the letter was. It's a word in the Greek called parakalao, which means to come along beside someone, put your arm around them and say, I really need you to do this. And it's translated, I urge, or I beseech, or I beg you. And we have this word in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says, I beg Euodia and I beg Syntyche to get along together. And you, my loyal yoke fellow, I think he's talking to the whole church of Philippi, you need to help these ladies get along because something is going on here that's preventing them from getting along with each other. And it may have something to do with this Jew-Gentile issue that's going on there, this debate between Judaizing teachers. Don't know for sure. But that's the point that he's addressing here. There's some self-centeredness going on. People are not getting along together. And you address it by talking about having this mind of Christ. Having this attitude toward each other. Now, these actions and attitudes have to be demonstrated in how you treat your family. How you treat your church family, how you treat your spouse, your children, even your parents, how you treat this community of disciples and how you treat the people around you in general. Okay, so it starts family and goes out. This is how you act. This is how you demonstrate this mind of Christ. In verse 14, or verses two, chapter two, verses one through four, one through four, Paul tells the Philippians to consider the others better than themselves. In other words, give unto their needs rather than demand your own all the time. Don't look after your own rights and interests only, but look after the interests of others. In other words, don't be selfish and self-centered. Beginning with family, spreading out. Don't be selfish and self-centered. Love on people. In verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining and arguing. If you gripe and speak negatively, stop it. Now, preferably... In 2, chapter 1 through 3, in chapter 4, he says, Be united, overcome your differences, find common ground, approach each other with gentleness and love. Focus on the good, focus on the excellent, the praiseworthy things found in each other, rather than the things that anger you. 
Paul then gives three examples of how this plays out in everyday life. You may not notice them, but they're there. He talks about a guy named Timothy, a guy named Epaphroditus, and then about himself. In chapter 3, he deals with that. He says, Timothy is one who takes a genuine interest in all of you. Everyone else looks after their own needs, but not Timothy. Timothy loves you guys. He has taken a genuine interest. He puts aside, sometimes he puts aside his own wants and desires to be a servant to you. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's what you see in Philippians chapter 2. Then he says, Epaphroditus, you sent Epaphroditus, he's one of your number. You sent him to me to take care of my needs. You sent him with a gift to take care of my needs. And he did, and he served me well, but he, he served me so well, he got sick and almost died. Again, you see a, a parallel there? He almost died. He was willing to be obedient even to the point where it might have cost him his life. Thank goodness he's, he's alive and he's well, and God has been merciful on him. And then he says, let me tell you about myself. I have all the credentials in the world. I am a rabbi. I've been trained in the rabbinic scholar, Gamaliel. I am, I am a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've got it down pat. And when it comes to legalistic rights, when it comes to following the law, I am flawless. And then he says, but then I take all of that and I put it on a pile of manure. Literally, that's what he says. I put it on a pile of manure. That's how important it is. Because it's more important to serve you than to tout all of my credentials. And isn't that what Jesus did when he did not consider equality with God something to be exploited? Instead, he set it aside and he emptied himself so that he could serve. My ego and all of my accomplishments are nothing but manure. The only important thing is Jesus becoming like him in his suffering and in his death. And that's the same thing to which God has called every Christian. To be a hero is to look like Jesus. That's what it means to be a hero. Like Jesus, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, we take all of our rights, all of our desires, all of our wants, demands, credentials, and whatever else there is, dump them on a trash heap in order to serve one another, in order to love on people. We give up our selfishness in order to love our family, in order to love our community, and in order to love our neighbors. We would quit being people who argue and fuss, and instead we'd be people who loved and served. Notice Paul says, and this is, this is the disclaimer that he gives, and I'm so glad he put this in here. Paul says, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not there. Oh, no. But I press onward. I forget my accomplishments and my rights and all the things, they are behind me and I press forward to the goal ahead which Christ has called me heavenward. Which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's to be formed into the image of Jesus. He's not talking about getting to heaven. He's talking about how we live here and now. You know, I look at this group of people and I see a group of folks who are trying to do that, who have set aside their rights in so many ways. I see folks who have said, you know what, I'm going to move over here. I'm going to, I'm going to sell my house and move over here in order to touch a community over here. I've seen some stories I've heard from some of you is uh, some of the ladies who have been at home and they're just harried trying to get things done. And someone knocks on the door and it's a neighbor saying, I've got I, I need to talk. And, you know, that's the last thing you want to do is talk. It's the last thing you want to do is serve someone. Because right now you are so, you've got so much going on. But then you say, you know what? 
I'm going to put my wants and my desires aside. And I'm going to love on you. And I'm going to listen to you because you have a need right now. And I'm going to do that. It's putting aside your self-centeredness. It's putting aside what you want. A little bit at a time. Incrementally. But that's what God has called us to. We press on to the goal to which God has called us to heavenward in Christ Jesus. To have the mind of Christ. To be a hero. Self-emptying presence and those around us. So, may you discover what it means to be a hero. A self-emptying presence. May you be formed into the image of Christ. May you begin to see within you the life of Jesus swelling up and pouring out of you unleashed and unselfish behavior towards others. May you learn to live for the cares and needs of others rather than merely for your own cares and desires. And may you pour yourself out in service so that God might exalt himself through your actions. Amen?